On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on my turning point. And this week, man, what an honor to have one of my favorite people in all of music, legendary guitarist Slash on the show. I've known Slash for 20 years, one of the nicest people you will ever meet. Great to talk to him this week about his new album, Four, with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, working in Nashville, so much more. Hope you enjoy this one as much as we did, because it's always a blast to talk to Slash. Been a minute since I've seen you. How have you been? Uh, I've been good. It's hard for me to tell. I see you because you're in the glare. <laughs> right. Oh, it's well, you, hey, man. How you doing? <laughs> I just yeah, it's funny. Gene Simmons yelled at me once for that glare, but you know, it's uh, yeah, it, yeah it's too yeah. much work to shut my blinds right now. But yeah, how you, you been doing? good? Yeah, yeah, everything's good. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Interesting times, man. It's let's start with the obvious. And, you know, it's funny. I was just talking about this with Rod Stewart last week. And, you know, is this a COVID baby or a not COVID baby, the new album? Um, it's well, it's 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 I mean, it would have happened anyway. It was it would have been a little sooner, but um it definitely came out of the COVID situation. I did all the demos during COVID by myself, which is a first. Um, I usually don't get that into demos. But uh, I was sort of forced to this time around. But uh, then after that, we all got together in a, in a room and hashed out the pre-production. And then we took the uh, we took a tour bus to Nashville and recorded over at RCA Studio A, and uh, which is a famous great old studio, and uh, with with Dave Cobb. And uh, we recorded it. We recorded it live in five days, and then it turned out that Miles had picked up COVID somehow. And subsequently, Brent and Todd got it. And so fortunately, the record was done. We just had some overdubs to do and uh, mixing. So me and me and Dave started mixing. And when the guys started getting better, all of a sudden I picked it up. And so it definitely had COVID residue all over it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, the reason I ask about it, and it's funny because obviously, look, you were coming off a time when you'd been on the road with GNR, you were busy. So what happened is for a lot of artists, COVID presented them the downtime to work on stuff that they had wanted to do, but maybe otherwise wouldn't have had time to do. So it sounds like for you, starting with the demos, that that in fact did come a little bit about because you know, you're know you off the road, you have no choice. Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of stuff besides this record. Um, you know, I did this and I also worked on new gun stuff. And then I did a bunch of random sessions for different things. Um, so I did the Leslie West tribute record. I jammed with Tom Morello on his record from a distance, right? I did the Black Puma um, uh, thing that's coming out. Uh, I, I think next month it's coming out. And then um, I did some other stuff as well. So I was busy pretty much throughout, you know, and I wrote a lot of material. 
It's funny you say that. Travis Barker is a good friend. He and I talked at the beginning of COVID and he said, you know, it's a weird thing from an artistic standpoint because you want to be sensitive to the fact that basically there's a lot of people suffering. But from an artist standpoint, having so much freedom, like he said, it was like such a great time for him as an artist to be able to collaborate and not be on the road and work with so many different friends and do so many fun, different things. And for you, do you feel like you had a chance to, you know, like you say, you worked with Morello, who's a friend. You got to do stuff with Black Pumas. You know, that you had opportunity to do stuff that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have had time to do. Um, I don't think see it so much as an opportunity to do a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have had time to do. I think it was more because I had the time, I could do it uh, for the fun of it. Um, you know, I'm so in that sort of recording, touring, recording, touring mode that um, I was sort of jerked out of that and then sitting there twiddling my thumbs and trying not to stress out over the reality of everything that was happening around me and just started jamming with people. So it was just for the fun of it. It wasn't wasn't necessarily uh, an opportunity that I was looking for a window to be able to fill. But it's funny because Tom and I just talked about that not long ago. And like he said, you know, look, so Rage is scheduled to go out right at the beginning. Literally, I had tickets to see Rage like three days after everything shut down. He's like, Mm -hmm. well, I've got everything mapped out for a year and a half. He's like, oh shit, what the fuck do I do now? And then he goes and makes two solo albums because, you know, he's like, he's like, basically it came about as an opportunity to stay sane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know, all things considered, I mean, you know, you just, you just think of things that you want to do while you have that time, I suppose, you know? <laughs> all right. So it's interesting for you once you got it. Cause like you say, you're not typically into demos. Once you got everybody in, I'm curious, how did these songs change once you got everybody together? Cause I imagine they evolved a lot. Um, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, most of the material was written, um, most of the ideas came from the previous uh, 2019 tour. And so I got those tapes together. You know, we do board mixes. We, we practice the stuff at sound checks. So like all through the tour, we'll get up for sound check for half an hour and jam on a new riff or whatever. And I tape all that stuff. So I, I listened to all the accumulated recordings that we had. And I just started making demos and I did the sort of keyboard mock drums and, and then I would have Todd fly in from Vegas and put a bass on it, on it. And we'd send that to Miles and he would start, you know, coming up with different ideas or he already had ideas and started coming up with melodies and just getting the arrangements together. And we'd send stuff back and forth. So by the time that we got into actual pre-production where we were physically all in the same room, um, you know, I'd say the songs are about 75% arranged, written and arranged. And then when we got to Nashville, we just sort of jammed everything out and finished it up. And it was very spontaneous and very fast. So, yeah, they didn't change. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it's hard to say. I guess things did change. They just evolved, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, that's what I'm thinking is obviously, look, you have an idea for something, right? But then you bring other people on, you bring the band on. And of course, they bring their sort of talents and their vision to it. And so, yeah, that, no, that's, and then of course, that's you bring Dave Cobb in, who's amazing. Yeah, that's how this band works. I mean, I just I come up with the different whatevers. Miles starts putting uh, things on it, and he'll change stuff around to fit what his vocal ideas are. And so everything. But we went through that process. It was just a little bit different because instead of doing it in one room. 
from the onset, we sort of did it by sort of mailing back and forth and editing that way. And then by the time that everybody got together, we had reached some sort of an arrangement. But then uh, when Dave came into it, he had some great ideas on different stuff. And it was just really sort of a very explosive uh, collaborative effort at that point. Well, it's so funny, too, because, you know, if I'm thinking about this right and I never thought about this before, but if I'm thinking about the most quintessential L.A. musicians of all time, you're probably top five, top ten. You're so associated with L.A., I you never know? thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it until just this moment either. But obviously, you know, between growing up here, GNR, all this stuff, right? Yeah. So for you, being in Nashville, how did that affect you as a musician? Because I talk about this with musicians all the time. Environment absolutely affects writing and recording. Yeah. So did you I, feel different being there in a good way? That's a good question. I mean, our whole environment was completely different. We rented... Uh, an Airbnb on the edges of town, on the edge of the city, in this big house. And, uh, and that was, you know, and there was a great sense of camaraderie between all of us because we were just living together and sort of doing it that old school kind of way. But the, the big thing was that studio has such a vibe of history. It's something that is actually tangible. And, you know, all the, the seminal artists, you know, that have recorded there, you can feel it in the room. And I think that it had a great sort of positive, creative uh, uh, influence on all of us. And, and then Dave, you know, I mean, this is his place. He has great fucking gear, um, great old school analog Neve stuff. And it just really really great shit. But the coolest thing about it was we set up for the first time in my career. The reason that we went with Dave Cobb in the first place was a conversation that we had about doing this record live. And so we set up the back line like we would in a club and a couple monitors in front of each of us. And we just fucking jammed the whole record out live. So in that great room, there's, you know, a band of, of I'd say we're pretty reasonable players all getting together and sort of doing this, banging this stuff out in the moment and recording it uh, with the vocals and the guitar solos all at once. That was huge. And that was something that this particular studio provided. It's not something we could do necessarily anywhere. And because of the fact that Dave was so into that idea that we were able to do it, I haven't been able to do a, a record recorded live in that fashion ever. I've, I've wanted to, but it's just never been technically possible. So yeah, this change of scenery actually had a really great, uh, a really positive effect on the whole recording. Yeah, it's funny. I remember interviewing Green Day back when they did American Idiot at the Capitol, Capitol Studios or, you know, talking with doing all these interviews at the Village where Fleetwood Mac had recorded and stuff, you know, and you have sort of the specter of all these other artists that have performed there. So for you, were there one or two artists that you felt the most when you were in this room that you say has all this great history? Well, I mean, there was so, so much of it. I mean, Johnny Cash, um, uh, Chris Christopherson um, was a big one. Um, uh, it is, um, oh, now I'm, I'm spacing. It's, it's Ted Atkins' studio, so Ted Atkins was a big one. Steve Cropper's got an office upstairs, so he's there. Um, and then... 
uh, you know, Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. And it's funny because I'm talking about all country artists and you don't really see me as a country guy, but old school country recordings have always been a big influence on me. The really cool stuff I've always dug, but I also really appreciated the um, the sort of antidotes <laughs> of these people's lifestyle and how they wrote and how they, how they, work together and just that, that that whole sort of history and so it was really really um omnipresent <laughs> at that place you know yeah no it's so funny because you say you don't see you as a country musician but when you think about it you know obviously all those guys were famously like you know they were just as badass outlaws as oh, yeah. any rock musician who's ever lived it's all rock and roll for sure yeah i mean rock and roll to me that that sums it up it, it could be a lot there's there's a rock and roll in a lot of different styles of music it's more of an attitude and a way of of uh expressing yourself and sticking to your guns and fucking whatever the obstacles are you know you're willing to fight kick and claw to get through it and so that's something that that is universal in almost all genres of music and country being obviously a really big one <laughs> you know so yeah i i really um, sort of got more in touch with my country roots hanging out there. All right, so now I'm just curious, were there one or two songs that, as you're there, that you really turned to as a country fan or, or like to your country roots? Were there one or two songs from these artists that you kind of turned to? Um, I can't, I can't, I, you know, I, I think more than anything, there was a very organic sort of approach and a very spontaneous off-the-cuff um you know, one to one or two takes sort of kind of vibe on this record. And the playing was very bluesy, you know, but it wasn't something I'd say, oh, I was definitely musically influenced by this Johnny Cash song or that, you know, this uh, Sonny, whatever his name was, and, you know, like the different artists, it wasn't that specific. No, I meant just as a fan being there, because like if you're in Nashville, right, you got to go to the, like, you know, you you're... It's so interesting because you go, you have the Johnny Cash Museum. You have the stuff that's there that you just so it like becomes sort of like you say it's omnipresent. So it's right. like just as a fan, you start to be like, oh shit, I haven't listened to that song in ages, you know? Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I didn't think about that so much. I one of the interesting things that we did when we were there is right next door is Studio B. That is a studio that was built in the late fifties, and it's it's a. Uh, it's it's uh, a, basically a museum, and so you go in there, and all the gear is still there, and you have pictures of different artists, uh, you know, even Dolly Parton or whoever it was, you know, all sort of on the on the walls in that particular room, and um, it and it's it's really sort of makes you stop and think about the history of recording and the history of country music and also sort of the, the history of rock and roll because there was a lot of sort of rock and roll bands, young rock and roll bands that went there as well. So I, 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 you know, maybe some songs come to mind, but I think it's just the sort of musicality of the whole, you know, and the different artists as a whole going in there and doing their thing um, that really sort of uh, struck me. Well, it's interesting, too, because obviously, you know, as you say, this record was done live and you were able to do it in a different way than you've done any other record. So for you, when you go back and listen to it, because, look, you're in the midst of recording it, right? You're right in the feeling of doing it. 
So when you go back and hear it, you get a chance to hear it in a different way because, of course, when you're performing it, you're trying to just be in the moment. So yeah. are there moments on the album that really surprise you in a good way? Things that you're like, oh, I didn't think about that or that you hear, cool, you know, that you might have missed when you were, you know, it's like when you watch freaking footage, you know, of your old concerts. Right. Well, I mean, when I haven't listened to it since we finished mastering it because I knew that we were going to have to wait until February for the record to come out. And if I started like put this record in my car or something over the span of eight months or six months or whatever it is. Um, I would go crazy and I would start, you know, I would probably start nitpicking and stuff and whatever. So what I, what I do recall is when we were, when we were uh, mixing it and then mastering it, there was a lot of really spontaneous stuff that happened that you don't really realize when you're actually recording it, that you hear after the fact, you're like, Oh, that's cool. And we didn't overdub that. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that stuff going on on the record. All right. So for the stuff that you recall, are there individual moments that sort of stand out to you or when you go back and like I said too, because you know, the other thing is both the band and Dave brought their own perspective to the song. So are there songs that for you particularly changed from the way that, you know, they brought new things to them? Yeah. I mean, one of the songs that comes to mind um, that really sort of, uh, came together in its its finished form. Really came together uh, in Studio A was uh, Fall Back to Earth. Um, that arrangement was significantly different when we first got there. So that's something that came together sort of in the moment. Um, and I'm I'm really sort of pleased and with the sort of organic, natural way that that evolved. Another song, uh, April Fool, was something that came together, uh, the, the, fine, the finished product that came together there. Um, uh, let's see, The River's Rising was something that was basically finished, but still ended up taking a change um, once we started actually playing it in earnest in the studio. So there's a lot of little things that, hap- that, that, that developed while we were there. Now, by the way, because I know, uh, I don't know what the GNR tour plans are in 2022. I don't know what, you know, but are you going to be able to tour this record? Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy because everything is sort of was all backed up and now it's starting to come out through the floodgates. Um, in February, we're, the Conspirator is going to tour in the States for uh, February and March. Then Guns is going to do it finally do the European tour and then also the Australian tour, which we were supposed to be doing in November of this year, but because of their uh, quarantine uh, protocols, we, we didn't, we couldn't do it. So we're going to do that uh, in 2022 and then also uh, a South American tour. So most of 2022 is tied up that way. And then I'll do European, I'll do all the international conspirator stuff at the top of 2023. (laughs) So it's gonna be a full next couple of years. Yeah, it's funny. I remember talking with Steve Van Zandt about that not long ago. And, you know, we did an interview during COVID and he was saying the same thing, dealing with, you know, putting out his own stuff and then E Street Band. You know, right. So it's like everything sort of opens at once. I mean, how do you mix? I don't know. Would you ever do a double bill, the conspirators and GNR? No, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> I can't say that the idea hasn't popped up once or twice, but no, it's just not, not feasible. Well, it's interesting for you when you think about taking this, when you think about taking this record to the road in February, March, what are the songs that you are most excited to do live and see how the audience adapts them? Because of course the audience makes them change. 
Um, there's a, you know, this, I, I, because of the way it was recording, you know, we always record everything, uh, live. And then I go back and redo the guitars and Miles goes back and redoes the vocals. But so, you know, so everything has a very sort of live feel to it, regardless. This one a little bit more so, like I said, because the guitars are live, vocals are live. Um, but the whole album sort of lends itself to a live show. So I, I mean, you know, I'm excited about playing, um, uh, you know, Rivers Rising, uh, Actions Speak Louder Than Words, I think is going to be a great song. Spirit Love is going to be a great live song. Um, I think that... Uh, what's the song called? The second song, uh, whatever gets you by is going to be a great live song. I think fill my world is going to be a good live song. <laughs> you know, I could go on, um, call off the dog. So would you ever do this one start to finish? I well, No, I've done that. I I've done what usually happens and it'll probably happen with this, this record as well is we'll put like three songs into the live set. And then we'll start adding more new songs or swapping them out. But we'll, we'll probably will have played the entire record by the end of the U.S. tour. See, now this is such an interesting thing, too. I mentioned E Street Band, and I remember talking about this with Joe Perry as well when we were talking about Aerosmith versus Hollywood Vampires, right? And, you know, you sort of have that mix. And, you know, as an artist, it's the best place to be in is you have the massiveness of Aerosmith. But like you said, there's a flexibility with vampires because they're all such good friends. So for you... Talk about, you know, having this place now as an artist where you're going to play stadiums with GNR and then you get to do the more intimate shows with the conspirators. So you really are well, as an artist. It's, it's a weird, like, cool thing where you're almost like getting to enjoy the top, but also going back to the beginning. Yeah, it's actually one of the, the, the beauties of um, or one of the beautiful aspects of the whole setup, because Guns is obviously, you know, an arena stadium band um, and conspirators are, you know, basically theaters and some, some, uh, you know, festivals and, and some arena stuff. Um, but it's definitely a more intimate environment for the most part. And so I do, I get to be able to do the stadium stuff, which really works for Guns N' Roses. It has a very intimate feel, believe it or not, doing the, the stadium stuff with Guns. But still, being able to go over and be able to do a tour of, say, mostly theaters, some clubs and shit, um, it, it just sort of is very grounding. Um, and it makes you not forget how that all feels and how that all works. And, and, and also just touring on that scale when you're all on one bus and you're just staying in like mid-level hotels <laughs> and all that. Kind of shit. It's great. It's, it's, it's something that I think um, for me personally, I love what it is that I, I do, you know, what I've, I've chosen to the lifestyle, I suppose that I've chosen to do. And the, sometimes the grittiness of it is something that really appeals to me. And you can get a little spoiled on the whole guns thing, you know, so it's good to have, uh, have one foot still sort of, uh, in the uh, trenches, so to speak. Well, you and I have talked about this so much over the years as well. And I know we got to wrap up in a minute, but there's so many, as always, there's so much to talk about, but I mean, look for you as well, you know, also you're older, you're in a good place. So do you feel like you're able to enjoy and appreciate more? You mentioned you could get a little spoiled with the gun stuff. And so it's nice to have the balance, but for you, I'm sure it's also something Dude, you're just having fun now because you're getting to do what it is you want to do and in a place where you're at a place you can appreciate it. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, really fortunate 
to be able to do all this. It's all I ever wanted to do, obviously. So being able to be able to do it constantly and to have two musical outlets to be able to express myself in, plus the other random stuff that I get the opportunity to do, it's great. You know, I mean, I honestly have to pinch myself all the time, you know, to to be this fucking fortunate. It's very humbling. Um, and so I dig it. And the, the pandemic sucked because I couldn't do shit for the most part. <laughs> um, it's like I, I don't mind recording and it's fun just sitting around and playing guitar all day. But a year plus of not traveling and not gigging was excruciating. But it's funny. So. Do you also then... And I talked about this with so many fucking artists, you know, and it's interesting. It was so interesting to, it was like a Rorschach test to see how different artists responded. You know, there were some artists who were like, cool, I get family time. And then I remember talking with Ozzy at the beginning who had been off the road for a year and he was like, oh my God, I'm losing my fucking mind. Sharon and I are on each other's tits all the time. You know, so where did you fall in this? Were you more in the, I missed it? Or were you more like in the, you know what? It's nice to have the little bit of the break. Well, actually, um, trying to make this not too long an answer, this particular experience for me, I'm glad you brought it up, let me appreciate the fact that I get on great with my significant other, and we managed to get through this when a lot of people were getting divorced as a result of being cooped up together. And we really appreciated each other's company. And, and for the first time in my life, I was able to be at home and not be uptight and and stir crazy to the point of being unhappy so it was good because normally you know i have a history i don't sit well (laughs) you know i don't sit still well and i'm bad with off time and so this was actually a good experience so as anxious as i was to get back on the road um i was able to placate myself and be able to be at peace while i was here you know so yeah do you also feel like though that's partly age as well? I think it's um, it's experience, and that, I'm, and that probably comes from you know doing this for so long. But I mean, I, I sort of learned um, you know over the years, you know, a lot of my drug problems and 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 alcohol and all that was a lot of it would stem from just not knowing what to do with myself between legs or whatever. And so I finally learned after I sort of got sober was that I had to put all that time and energy back into music. So that was a big learning experience. I also sort of um, managed to get into an environment where I'm around people that I like to be around. And so, you know, all that sort of helped. It took a while to get to this place, but it finally, you know, having experienced this year plus of just being stationary, I realized that I've, I've achieved um, uh, a, a little bit of sort of domestic bliss, I guess. <laughs> That's a good place to be in. And we'll wrap up on this in a second, but uh, uh, very quickly, you know, it's interesting too, because one of the other things that COVID presented was the opportunity for artists to really go and look back, you know, and I mentioned that and it's like, you know, because as an artist, you're always looking forward. So I'm curious, were there songs either of your solo stuff or GNR that having had the year and a half off and you had opportunity that you're like, all right, you know, I guess what I'm asking, are there songs of yours that you've really reappreciated with the downtime? That's a, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, Maybe songs that you're like, okay, I haven't played that in a while and I missed well, that. I mean, know? obviously when, when you, when you're going back out with guns, say after being dormant for a while and starting to put the set together, you might have ideas for something that you hadn't thought of in a while or whatever. But for the, I mean, 
for the most part, I was still very much in a forward motion. So I couldn't really say that I looked back at all, <laughs> you know? No, it's fair. And it's funny because also it's interesting, like, you know, as a fan, though, you rediscover songs or you feel like there's stuff that you like, okay. Like, for example, from a gun standpoint, Estranged, for some reason, that song just is like my favorite, you right. know? Um, no, I didn't rediscover. <laughs> it's, it's a mainstay in the set. So um, the only thing that, that, that happens with me is whenever we're playing, you know, pretty much anything, be it old or new, is I always play it in a way that, what it means to me in the moment. And I'm always trying to find tweak, tweak little things here and there just for my own entertainment. I don't think anybody else would might necessarily notice it, but um, I mean, that, that, that holds true for pretty much all the old songs, you know? All right. Now I'm just curious and we'll wrap up, but I'm, are there songs that you rediscovered as a fan from other people? You know, we talked about the Nashville stuff, but I mean, it's funny. Did you have like a COVID playlist? No, I didn't have a COVID playlist, but you know, I was listening to a lot of Peter Green during that. I listened to a lot of records, one of them being the old Fleetwood Mac stuff and rediscovered, um, some of that, you know, like, Oh, well, and songs that I, that I heard when I was growing up that, that, uh, you know, I really sort of got into a place to appreciate the playing that I had never really paid that much attention to when I was a kid. Um, and that was sort of interesting. And I think there was, there was Peter Green and there was also um, Freddie King I was listening to a lot of. And so, you know, and I actually, there's, I could go on this list for a while um, of people that I was listening to. Uh, I was listening to a lot of the meters, right? And a meter, I had yeah. never listened to their entire catalog until now. You know, I didn't even realize they had so many records. So I was listening to a lot of stuff that harkens back to when I was a kid that I was sort of um, getting sort of reacquainted with during COVID. All right. Last question. When you go back and listen to Fill My World as a complete album start to finish, well, I guess you said you haven't really listened to it, but you I, know, I, when the last time you listened to it, what did you take from well, it? Well, I mean, the last time I heard it was a, a snippet of it, which was yesterday. And it sounds really good. It was only it was only the a chorus into the guitar solo, but um, it sounded really cool. So I'm I'm hope I'm I'm, I'm I, I, but I think the main thing is when the record actually comes out if I love it as much as I did when we mastered it, you know, when we made it, that's, that's usually the, the t most telling thing, but I was really happy with it when it was finished. Cool. What do you want to add? We didn't talk about, cause I think as usual, we cover it all. Yeah, no, I think that was basically it. You were asking all the interesting questions. So I think we're good. Well, dude, I definitely want to hear though, like if you end up doing another record in Nashville or if you do one someplace else. Um, I think I would, I would opt to go back and do that again. Seriously. All right, well, now I'm curious. Well, uh, one word answer. Is there one city you haven't recorded in yet that you would like to record? In? Um, no, I mean, I mean, I, I suppose I would like to go to Muscle Shoals. I don't even know if it's still there, but that would be, that would be an experience. Um, there, it is still there. I did a long interview with Steven Tyler about it two years ago. Yeah, okay. So that would be one destination that I would like to experience. Um, off the top of my head, that's the only one that comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I want to sneak in one more question because this is just interesting to me, but I, because I, I thought about this in the interview, who is your quintessential LA musician, the top two or three? Um, John Doe, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I'm gonna. I, I have to think for a second. I'd say, um, uh, probably Jim Morrison or Robbie Krieger. You know, I mean, it can't get more sort of L.A. than that. And then, um, uh, what's her face? Uh, fuck, um, Joni Mitchell. Oh, well, I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, Joni Mitchell is a great one, actually. I hadn't thought of that. I was gonna say Marla Cass, but Joni Mitchell's great. Yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, I never thought about this until just now either, but I think you got to go Brian Wilson, of course. Oh, yeah, which I used to live across the street from Brian. So, yeah, that's that's actually, it's hard to do that in just three, isn't it? I think we'd have to go to 10. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's why I get, but like I said, I never thought about it, but I think you're certainly on that list. So that's why, and it's funny, I never thought about it till now, but like I say, it's just interesting that you went and recorded a record in Nashville. That was the whole thing that prompted it. Yeah. So one day that'll be a really cool list. All right, dude, always a pleasure. Right, man, yeah, it's good to see you. And it's definitely fun to talk to you. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you around at some point in the next few months. Um, I'm sure. Well, I'll be at the show in February, but I'm sure I'll run into you or whatever now that actual live music yeah, is happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, man. All right, dude. Take it easy. Take care. Hey, this is Steve Walton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Slash. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Were they shot? Were they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.